Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. If you're watching online and are here, I invite you to open your Bibles up to a place where your little tassel, if you've got one on your Bible or a bookmark, probably needs to find a home for the next few months as we work through a, a verse at a time through the book of James. Just a, a one word of something we're excited about. Uh, Micah's been working hard as well as other people to um, to change our curriculum in our kids' ministry. We're going to be doing Bible storying in there. My, matter of fact, Micah just stepped out. He's going to actually kick it off with and teach the lesson this morning uh, to get that started. Uh, but you should have something in your hand as a parent when you go home to, to talk to your children about. And uh, these stories will build on all the stories of the Bible to help them see the big story of the Bible. So we're excited about that. Um, James 1 is where we are. Uh, last week, we sort of laid forth the elephant, the elephant that is James. And now what we're going to do is begin to eat that elephant one bite at a time. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 2 to 4 of chapter 1. So stand with me to your feet. We do this not as some kind of ritual or, or even tradition. We stand because when God's Word speaks, God speaks. So let us hear from the Word of God this morning. James 1, beginning at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Pray with me. So Lord, this is your Word. And Lord, if we understand your word and your character right, and we do, God, the trials that are in every single one of our lives are various in types. They're not the same. But Lord, they came to us because they have came through and sifted through your sovereign hands into our life this morning. And Lord, many of us and many of those we love don't understand it when we're asking why. And so, Lord, will you help us with your word this morning? Give us wisdom to know what to do when we don't know what to do. What to say when we don't know what to say. When to speak and when to love. When to hold. When to obey. And when to entrust you with things we are not in control of. All these things, Lord, we lay before you. And ask for your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I know if, if you're like me and you've been walking with the Lord for some number of years, you have encountered people that have walked away from the faith. Um, things have blown into their life. Cancer, rape, war, betrayal, divorce, church splits, death. And people oftentimes walk away when something like this happens in their life or someone that they love's life, and they just can't make sense out of it. They don't understand why. It doesn't seem to be right nor fair. Most doubt that we run into, even in those that we love's life, 
who claim that they're having intellectual doubt believing in the truth of Bible or the truth of Christ is actually deeper than that and it is emotional doubt because something's happened in their life that they just can't make sense of. And to that, James has some things for us, and not only James, but the whole counsel of God's Word, of which we can only scratch the surface this morning. A couple of truths here just to get us oriented. Um, If you're in the midst of a trial right now, a heated one, here's the truth this morning. This message may not feel helpful at all. When we're in a trial, we want it to stop, right? Just stop. You know, someone offers you a biblical counsel, you're sitting there going, okay, that's good, but right now I just want it to stop. Just want to hit the pause button. That's true. All you can do with people that are in the midst of a storm is love them, hold them, pray with them, and be with them through them. But once that storm ceases, once it stops, that's the time we need to go to work to strengthen our faith, not to abandon our faith. See, remember this from last week. Everybody has faith. If you walk away from Christianity, you simply accept something else. There is no other options. Everybody has faith. The only question is, are you going to say my faith is in myself? Give yourself six months of that and see where it leads you. It will lead you isolated by yourself, looking to only yourself for help. The Bible doesn't always give us answers to the why. That's hard this morning, but that's the truth. We miscarried one of our children, and we don't really know why. God does. He doesn't always tell us. But what He does tell us, we need to know. Also, in every trial, there is also a temptation. Trial and temptation are distinct but they are always connected and they're not always hard to tell the difference. In every trial that blows through your life, there will be a temptation that comes with that trial and we will talk about temptations later. So what does this text teach us? What does the whole counsel of God teach us? Main idea. Faith chooses joy in the midst of trials because of God's purpose to produce mature believers who grow in Christ-like Character. I didn't say you choose joy. This is one of the things I want to be clear of this morning because oftentimes we've been taught to use scripture this way. Use this silly illustration, but it's a real one. You're standing in front of a basketball goal and you've got to take this shot and the whole game depends on whether you're hitting that shot and you're dribbling the ball saying... I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And you say it about six times, hoping that if you say it enough, swish. You didn't get a swish, didn't say it enough. The Bible nor Christianity is, a, is not a lucky rabbit's foot that you can rub enough times and get it to work. So I'm not saying you stand in front of your trials and saying, I'm choosing joy, I'm choosing joy, I'm choosing joy, I'm choosing joy. It's not what it's teaching us this morning. That's superstitious. It's not really Christian. So 
I want you to see six purposes. And there's more. Just ha- I had to make some choices. I wanted to pick what the text is teaching us and then grab some others from Scripture. First, and really to the point of verses 2 to 4, trials mature us, trials equip us, and trials soften us. Trials mature, equip, and soften us to minister to others. Notice these trials are not all alike. Verse 2, they are, we meet trials. <laughs> they, are, they just come. They don't ask to come. They don't ask for our opinion. They don't ask if we're ready. They, they're just here. And they don't look the same. My trial that I'm going through, the trial you're going through, doesn't look the same. But they're all for the same purposes in our life. Notice it says this confusing thing that we're supposed to count it joy. This trial. This trial can, this word trial can be used as a trial. That's the best way to understand it in this context. Sometimes this word trial can mean a test or a temptation or just a disaster in one's life. They look varying. And we're supposed to count it. That word count is the word reckon. It's the same word that's used when we think about Christ reckons you, or God reckons you as righteous in Christ. He considers you righteous. It's the same way. When we experience trials, we are to consider them joy. We see the emotions and feelings play very little effect in this. The truth is you just, I'm repeating this twice. You just can't will this joy into being. This is more than a choice. It is deeper. It is an effect of something that is deeper in our life. And that's what the Lord is producing when He sends the trial. What produces this joy? To have joy means to take pleasure in something. Namely here, trial. You should take delight, take pleasure. That's what that word means. How in the world? The answer is faith. Now again, faith is not some superstitious lucky rabbit's foot. We have faith, we have trust, we have belief in something that we know. Look at verse 3. What do we know? For you know, you could say this, for you have faith that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What do we know? So this is important for the joy. That trials are purposeful. That's what we have to know. (laughs) Doesn't mean you know distinctly what that purpose is. We must know our God. Our faith is in a person. It is, stop trying to get God off the hook. He doesn't need it. We're going to see that in a few minutes in in Job's life. God is sovereign. These are God sent, God ordained, and God controlled. Trials test our faith. That's what verse 3 is teaching us. It tests it. You know what that word means, test? It means to prove something is genuine. So the trial is sent to you to test, to prove the genuine nature of your faith. When the Lord saves you, you get a, this seed. Faith is a gift given to you by God. You would not be saved without it. But your faith must grow. It is, as it were, a seed. An immature seed. It is there. 
It is sufficient, but it grows. And here's what he's saying. Trials makes it grow. Trials gives roots in your life. That whole root fruit. I got a picture that Rachel drew of me. It's hanging in my office. If we ever talk about anything in life, I'm probably going to point you to that root fruit tree. Trials makes our roots grow. It's producing something. What is it producing? Look at verse 3. It's producing steadfastness. That word means endurance. I love this definition. It means inward fortitude. It's awesome. I just love that. I know very little about music. That's my wife's. I've mentioned this before, but I was in youth choir way back in the day. You remember that? We used to have student choir. We'd go there on Sunday afternoon and practice. And I didn't know anything about music, but if I knew there was a word called forte on there, I needed to get stronger or louder at that point in the music. Music guy taught me that. That's about all I remember. The word fortress is an inward fortitude. That's what it's doing. So you, can you begin to see that this joy is a deeper inward fortitude that God is in control and that the things that are happening in our life are purposeful? They are producing something. Romans chapter 5, Paul's teaching the same thing. Romans 5 verse 3, let's listen to it. It's not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. There that is again. Knowing. You see that? It's the same. The Bible teaches the same things over and over in different places. Knowing that the suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because, listen, God's love has been poured into what? Our hearts, through the Holy Spirit He has given us. Notice that the trial is producing character. And the character is producing hope. And hope focuses us on the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our life. For is it not the Holy Spirit that produces love and joy and peace and patience? Here's the truth. If you don't know anybody in their 70s or 80s, you should. Because I have watched my own parents go to funeral after funeral. I have watched them bury their parents. I have watched my mother bury her sisters from the oldest to the youngest so far. And yet, there they stand with their Lord. Loving them more now than they did before. God was producing something. Those are not wasted. They're not mistakes. Listen, this is important. Say it twice today. Trials aren't just about you. Your trial's not just about you. Listen to this. Trials, you see, helps empathize. It helps us with empathy. Some of us need some help with empathy. Trials soften us. So that we don't arrogantly sit back on our evangelical derrieres and think we have it all together. Trials soften us. They humble us. They make us feel something when it blows into somebody else's life. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 1 floor. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you've lost somebody precious to you, you can comfort people with that same comfort that God has comforted you. That's a purpose, brothers and sisters. It doesn't take the pain away. It makes it purposeful. Trials are for our growth. They're for our equipping. They're for our softening. And they help us deepen in our relationship to God and each other. That's number two. Look at verse four. It says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. A lot we could say here, but I just want you to recall the story of Job. Oh, how much we learned over the years from Job, amen? Let's remember Job. You can look it up if you want to. If not, just recall with me. Job 121. You remember Job has lost everything at this point. The only thing that wasn't taken from him is the wife who told him to curse God and die. I wonder why. Here's Job's response. Verse Job 1.21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Here's the truth. We know this of Job. Job's suffering, his trial, wasn't due to direct sin. He didn't do anything wrong. And yet, if you study the book of Job, Job was not sinless in the process. Job didn't understand why either. He said, if I didn't sin and I didn't sin to cause this, then God, why are you doing it? Won't you stop? What's the problem? Listen to what he says. Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet... I will argue my ways to his face. We don't always read that second line when we quote that. Verse 23, chapter 13. How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know why my transgressions and my sins. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? He's saying, God, it's not fair. I mean, lay them out before me what I did to deserve to lose my children. What did I do to deserve to lose all that I have? Do you remember in Job 38 and 39 how God answers the question? This is why I'm saying we don't have to get God off the hook. We don't have to devise man-centered theologies and ideologies to try to explain why God does what God does. Because here's what God says, Job 38 verse 2. Who is this that darkens counsel By words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined this measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you, Job? Job 40. Job does this. 
Verse 4 says, What shall I answer you? I have laid my hand on my mouth. I will proceed no further. But God wasn't done. God keeps answering. He first says, Where are you? Then he says, Can you control Job, what I create? And I love this. Job 42. All this trial, all this struggling, all this honestly, I don't understand it, God, and he was, spoke to God and he heard God. Here's how Job answered chapter 42 and verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. You see the purpose. Do you see the purpose? Job understands at the end that the purpose of the trial was for him to know God in a deeper way than he did before the trial blew into his life. That was his purpose. But please remember, this still is not all about you. Galatians 6.2 says that we should bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. trials blowing in your life at a different time than the trials blowing in mine. And what that should do is drive us to community and never to isolation. The desire to be isolated is demonic. It is the devil wanting to have you. And if you listen to him, he will. Trials are meant to drive us together. Because your trial is not just about you, neither is mine. It is meant so that we both can grow, and so that we both can know God more than we did at the beginning of the trial. Trials prepare us not only for the present, but trials prepare us for the future, future glory. You know, you got to jump down if you go back to James 1, because remember, James just, he introduces things and moves on, comes back to them. James 1, 12. Look at verse 12. He said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, I really like this word crown. It's the word stephanos. It's why us good Stephens have PH in their name. It means crown. This is future-focused. Let me just listen to Revelation 2.10. It says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I've said this many a time. If I'm laying on my deathbed, somebody better read Romans chapter 8 to me. My favorite chapter for all kinds of reasons, listen to Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. When we are going through trials, we must 
know that they're purposeful and we must compare them to something that is greater. And none of the greater means anything if you don't have faith in the promises of God. Because all the greater is based off His promises. Trials are purposeful. They equip us. They train us. They soften us. They prepare us both for the present and the future. They deepen our faith and they may well be disciplined. That's number four. And I know we think of discipline. You think of your dad pulling his belt off, maybe giving you a spanking. But discipline's far more than that. Discipline is about building character. Discipline is about correcting sin. And discipline is about exposing blind spots in our life. It's about building your character. This is, this, uh, this is understood from a parenting, whether you're a child who's been parented or whether you're a parent. We're not just punishing them. It's not our desire at all. We're trying to instill things in there. We're trying to build something in there. You're not always going to have your mama and your daddy to take care of things. You're going to have to be an adult one day. God's doing this in our life. He's building character. He's correcting these things in our life that needs to be correcting. He's exposing blind spots of things we should see, but we don't. Listen to Hebrews 12. Verse 5. Hebrews 12, 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines whom he loves and chastises everyone whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? This is why the psalmist pursues God and says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me, and then lead me. In the way of everlasting. For that to happen in Psalms 139, there must be discipline. Trials may be discipline, but listen, go back to your mind and Job with me. Trials may well be warfare, spiritual warfare. I would say they're always spiritual warfare. Do you remember what started all this with Job? Job down there minding his own business, you know? Maybe working the farm, taking care of the animals, enjoying his children. And listen to this conversation that, that Job wasn't privy to. Job 1, verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him in our earth, blameless and upright, who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for no reason? This is interesting, isn't it? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? In other words, God, you won't let me mess with Job. Tells you something about God and the devil, by the way. You have blessed the work of his hand, and possessions have increased in his land. Verse 11, but stretch out his hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Or in other words, God said, devil, I give you permission. 
only don't do anything to him. So Satan went out, and we know the rest of the story. I ask you, does that not teach us that there is things going on in the spiritual world that we cannot see nor understand? And they're still purposeful. Do you remember when Jesus was going to the cross and, and this trial that was about to blow into Peter's life? What the Lord said to him in Luke twenty two thirty one, 31, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And w- listen, the tra- Peter's trial, not just about Peter. Listen to what he says. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Trials have spiritual warfare attached to them that are not only for your benefit, but for those that you do not know. For there are things happening in this world, in the spiritual world, that we cannot see, but the Bible is clear. They're understanding. If you don't believe it, read the book of Daniel. There's things going on in the spiritual world. Trials are spiritual warfare. Listen. Trials allow others to see Christ working in us. Trials allow others to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is the foundation of our evangelism. Your suffering, your trials that's going on in your life right now are fundamentally foundational to build a witness to make much of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 14, 1 Peter 3, 14. You know what Peter says. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, than it, if that is God's will, than for doing evil. Suffering is purposeful because it gives us a platform for the gospel that if we would not suffer, we would not have it. So Paul tells Timothy the pastor in 2 Timothy 2.8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, listen. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That they may also obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Did you get that? Who are the elect? Uh Uh-oh. They're the ones that God has chosen to be saved. But notice, they're not saved yet. Do you grab this? 
that our lives, our suffering, our trials are folded into the warp and woof of God's economy to bring those that He is going to save to salvation. The way I suffer in the midst of that is part of their story, is part of my story. And most of it, you'll never know till you get the glory. That something that I endured, that they saw, made a difference in their life. Thus says the Lord, we are part of the process. Simply by the way we persevere. So what today? Look at this, I'm 30 minutes into the message and I'm already at the so what? Am I willing to consider my trials joy? Send to Philippians 4, verse 4. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. I know I've been doing that a lot lately. It's just been helpful for me. And I think this, this translation helps us know there's some very simple things that we can do. Philippians 4, 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord's coming soon. Verse 6. Now you like me, I'm like a process person. If I'm taking notes, I'm writing down one, two, three. Listen to what he says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank Him for all He has done. Then, verse 7, you will experience God's peace. Which exceeds... Anything we can understand, His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Isn't that helpful? In order to consider it joy, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell Him what you need. Thank Him for what He's done. And then expect God's peace to settle on you. In the midst of the trial. That's what it means to consider it joy. So here's my question. We're going to talk about this in growth group. But I want to introduce it here. And I want to challenge us to do something next week in the application. Is it possible that you trust the Lord but are not entrusting the Lord? Is it possible that we are trusting the Lord but not entrusting us? Let me illustrate. I trust Mike. Trust him. And he knows I trust him. But I also entrust him. How do I know that? Because Mike can come over to my house and I will give my children to him and I will entrust him with their care and worry nothing about it. That's what it means to entrust. You see the difference? I can trust you, not entrust you. (laughs) I trust you to a degree. But I'm not going to entrust you with something precious because I don't know whether you might drop the ball. I'm afraid that some of us are treating God that way. Oh, I trust Him. But I got all these other concerns that I, I can't control, but I'm still worrying myself sick about. I'm doing that because I don't really, I'm not really willing to uh, entrust Him with something that is precious. And so we'll talk about this at Growth Group. You can do this on your paper if you've got room. Draw a circle. And inside that circle, draw a smaller circle. It looks sort of like a bullseye. 
Then off to the side, you can do this this afternoon if you want to. Write everything in your life that is concerning you right now. Write them down. Then ask yourself, what in that list can I do anything at all about? Those things go in the middle. Everything else goes on the outside. So the things that we can do anything about go in the middle, in the bullseye. Everything else goes out the other side. Listen to God's word. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. In other words, we need to trust the Lord by seeking His wisdom and obey. There are things that are in the circle, in the bullseye, that we should seek godly counsel on and then obey it. Stop mulling over it. If God tells us what we should do, then we should do it. But there are other things that I can't do anything about. And those things are harder, don't, aren't they? Because they're things and people that you love. You can't do anything about it. Those things we must entrust to the Lord. We pray to Him. We're not going to worry ourselves sick about it. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So let me give you an illustration and then challenge us to obey it, to, to both trust and entrust. Let's think about the war in the Ukraine for a minute. Think about your circles. That should be, I would say if it's not on the list, you need to to repent and put it on there. We should be concerned about them, about that situation. But here's what I'm asking myself the question. What can I do anything about? I don't have a position in the government to say, I think we should send our boys in. I think we should send more planes in. Or I think we shouldn't. Don't have that position. Can't make any of those decisions. I can't reach down with my almighty finger and flip Putin off the face of the earth like a bug. There is somebody who can do that. It's just not me. You see what I'm saying? Where does that part of that need to go? It needs to be in the entrusting part. We need to pray some, some psalms over Putin, by the way. David did. But I'm cutting grass. Tell you the scripture. Let me just read the scripture that came in my head as I'm minding my own business, cutting my grass. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So, also, faith by itself does not have works, it's dead. So I got a video this week, just by chance, from Christy Sonia. He's a pastor in Romania. We, we did work with him at Parkwood for many years. Our family personally did work with him for six years or longer. Short story, he came over here to be trained to then go back to his own people to plant a church, and that he did in the little village of Cordoe. It's where we did ministry with him for years. He eventually planted a church in the city of Aradia. He's been there 
faithfully serving the Lord for years, and now the waves of refugees begin to come into his city trying to get to safety. And his church has been like all the churches in the world are doing right now to be in the church. And his video was saying, we need some help. We have these refugees. We're just trying to help them give the basic needs and then help them get to places of safety. And so I'm calling us as the church next week to take up a love offering to help Christy Sonia help the refugees. You see, you can entrust the Lord with things you can't control, and we can obey the things that God has told us to do. That's the application of, the, of our text this morning. And this I promise you, our funds will go from our church to Little Rock Baptist Church in South Carolina and from there straight to Hope Church, which is Christie's. No private person will touch those funds. God has told us to help with wisdom, but he's told us to help. And so, my encouragement for you today, don't waste the trial. You may have had a trial that blowed into your life five years ago, and you've never processed it as purposeful and by faith. It's never too late to go back and lay that thing down at the altar. Don't waste your trial. And listen, don't lose heart. So let me read God's word as we close. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things seen, but to the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. So Lord, we come to you now. knowing there are things that I should trust you and be obedient about, and there are things that I must entrust you with and stop worrying about. Lord, give your people the wisdom and discernment to know the difference and their courage to act. Lord, I pray, even as we sink, that you would give joy to people in the midst of a trial that they've never experienced. Lord, as I have seen in many a time, at many a funeral, this peace that passes all understanding settled down on a person so that they may do what you have told them to do. God, do that with your people today. Give us the inward fortitude to know what we should do. And to do it and trust in you that everything that happens in our life is producing an eternal weight of glory beyond anything that we can imagine. And so we can faithfully finish the race with courage and joy for the glory of your name and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.